Lord, thank you for this evening. Uh, we are getting into the kingdom parables, and I know many times we can be confused by all the details and story arcs and everything that, that comes out of these parables, but I pray that we will have the uh, sense and carefulness to read them carefully to see what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. Pray that uh, everyone in here will get something they can use throughout the week uh, as they go home and uh, that we'll be better stewards of our lives in light of what the kingdom of God is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So some of you may remember in July I had to teach a Wednesday night and I kind of gave a preview for this class. We talked a little bit about parables. Um, some of this is going to sound familiar, but that class was more of a basic intro to hermeneutics and parables, you know, the interpretation of the Bible, uh, whereas this one is going to be more focused on the scope of this class, the, uh, the parables as they convey to us information about the kingdom of God. Now, as we've been talking, Jesus did not uh, announce the idea of the kingdom of God on a blank slate in Jewish society at the time, but he was oftentimes competing with many uh, misunderstandings in contemporary Jewish culture that he had to deal with, both he and John the Baptist had to deal with. So a lot of these parables, we're, we're going to have to take a step back and say, is Jesus teaching on the kingdom from almost the ground up, or is he correcting the understanding of his hearers? And you'll kind of hear that in some of the conversation that he has around some of these parables. But just to make a quick point, tying back into hermeneutics, parables are short stories used to make a point. Usually one point. You may have a parable with one or you know with two or three points, but most of the time it's one point. And they are not, I repeat, they are not allegory. And I gave an example back in July, and I'll give it again, that Augustine preached a wonderful sermon on the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan was Christ, who found the sinner lying in the ditch picked him up on his donkey, which I guess symbolized something, took him to an inn, which was the church, the innkeeper, who was the Holy Spirit, received two coins, that's the law and the gospel, he put oil on his wounds and bandages, that's, you know, the message of forgiveness and baptism, and everything in the, in the story had a detail, and at the end of the story, Augustine got a round of applause from his hearers for such a wonderful story, but all of it was made up. And, and none of those details are given to us in the Bible. They are pretty details, and he did a very good job with it, but that's not the purpose of a parable. Remember, the purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan was, what was it? Who's your neighbor? Who was the neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? The one who showed mercy and go and do likewise. So when we get the uh, purpose of the parable... Usually at the end of it, Jesus is pretty clear to kind of spell out what we're supposed to do. Now, there are always exceptions to a rule, but that doesn't stop the fact that there are generalities between almost all parables in the way that they're presented and the way that they land on a punchline. So Matthew's parables are the ones that we'll be going over the most. They're almost repeated by Mark, and Luke has a few others. 
Um, the way that Matthew arranges his parables <clears throat> is interesting because Jesus explains why he preaches in parables about the time that they start really in depth in the book of Matthew. Come on in, come on in. And so in Matthew chapter 13... We've got the parable of the sower. And it's a very straightforward, simple parable. So simple, in fact, that the disciples couldn't get it. <laughs> Says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this parable, like I said, the apostles didn't understand it. But in verse 18 of the chapter, Jesus explains it. And almost everyone in here has heard this explanation many times. The point that I want to make about this parable is not the difference between the good soul and the bad soul because this is a class on the kingdom of God. I want to focus in on verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... All right, so we, we stop there. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... So Jesus is talking about the message of the kingdom of God that he was preaching. And when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, these things may happen to that seed that is planted in their heart. So Jesus is really, you know, overlooking the details about the different types of soil. Jesus really is explaining his ministry here. It's not just explaining the types of soil. We know that's the meaning of the parable. But I just want you to catch that it's not, you know, it's not talking about just anything here. This message of the kingdom that he's preaching to people around could have been listened to by somebody in his crowd who would have said, this sounds really cool, but nah, the Messiah is not going to be some guy walking around. Here's going to be a big angelic figure. And he's going to kill all the Gentiles. So I'm, I'm not listening to it. Well, what just happened to that seed? The bird snatched it. Yeah. Someone might have heard it too and said, you know what? This is really good stuff because there's not going to be a violent overthrow. I can keep living in this world. Jesus isn't some radical. He's a down-to-earth guy. I'm going to walk around with him. Wait a minute. Jesus is talking about giving money to the poor. That's really tough. I thought the Messiah was going to be a little more down-to-earth. You know, all the, the what the poor going to do with my money? I'd rather go over here and do this. 
what type of soil is that? Stony. Yeah. The desire for things, the cares of this world, choke it, make it unfruitful. Then you're going to hear, uh, some of them will hear the, go- hear the gospel, the word of the kingdom, and they would follow until there was some persecution. They'd say, ah, this isn't for me. Listen, <laughs> you know, things aren't too bad under the Romans. They're the ones in here that under persecution, they wilt away under the scorching heat. But as for what was sown among the, uh, what was, sorry, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred, another sixty, another thirty. People who heard Jesus preaching the kingdom were fruitful. And you look at the disciples in their lives, the amount of fruit they produced, the early Christians, the amount of fruit they produced. And so I know a lot of times we, project this out and say, well, this happens in our church every week. And it does. This same dynamic happens. But at the original point where this was told, you kind of see there's a different level to it whenever you look at the, uh, the contemporary view that a lot of Jesus' listeners had. So this parable about the status of people's hearts fell on the first listeners and hit their misunderstandings of the kingdom. Sometimes their misunderstandings of the kingdom kept them from fruit, from following Jesus, from being uh, ultimately saved. So, has anybody ever uh, heard this explained how many of the types of soil were, quote, saved? We used to talk about this in seminary. They'd say, okay, well, which soils are saved people? You know, because there, there are all these different types of soil. Which ones are saved? And, and people argue about it endlessly. They'll say, well, the one that the devil steals it before they can believe. Obviously, this type of soil wasn't saved. And then they'll say, well, the one who choked under persecution, were they ever really saved? And they'll quote some verses and they'll say, well, what about the one who didn't bear much fruit? Well, we know there are some Christians who just aren't, you know, aren't going to produce as much fruit as others, but obviously the really fruitful one, they're saved. Once again, I think you've, you've dislocated the parable from its intent. The parable is not supposed to answer the question, who's saved and who's not saved. The parable is supposed to answer the question, who's fruitful? The one who understands. Who is fruitful? The one who understands. So a lot of these teachings, I think what Jesus is doing in them is he's going, okay, I want y'all to understand. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. And so understanding these parables that we're about to go through, I do believe is what is the key of fruitfulness, the key of having good soil in your heart, properly understanding the kingdom of God. So let's continue. Uh, just a real quick um, little segue here. And I'm going way down in my notes. The third thing from the end where it says parables can be somewhat divided. I should have put that in the very beginning of this lesson. You can divide most of the parables up into two categories. One, ethical. Ethical. 
Just an example, Good Samaritan. Ethical, right? You want to know how to live in the kingdom? Jesus is going to teach you how to live in the kingdom. In a way, even though it's not a parable, and by the way, this I'll just go ahead and tell you where we're going next week, Sermon on the Mount. Anyone in here like the Sermon on the Mount? Most confusing part of the New Testament. More wrong stuff has been written about it. Um, more wrong stuff has been believed about it, but half of it by me. Uh, it is confusing, and I'm going to tell you why it's confusing. Because people don't understand the manner of the kingdom. And so they put the cart before the horse with Jesus' teachings. You'll have people who will say, for example, these teachings aren't for the church today. Uh, they're actually commentaries here where they say, don't even, Sermon on the Mount's nice. It's definitely something you should try to do yourself, but it's not for the church. It's for the people of Israel. Just stuff like that. And you go, no, I, I, I don't think that's really grasping the kingdom. Um, so we're Sermon on the Mount next week. Sermon on the Mount is ethical teaching, but I'm talking about ethical parables tonight. So ethical parables like the Good Samaritan, um, the, the guy who the, the the guy who has the the debt, the massive debt to his master, and his master's like, pay up, and he's like, please, 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 you just got to give me more time. So the master just forgives him. Remember how I said in July, parables don't stand on three legs. Because that's ridiculous. Please, I'll pay, I promise. Okay, the whole thing's forgiven you. You know, this that's the point of a parable. It's supposed to be a little, you know, like shocking. The master forgives him millions of dollars in debt, and then he goes out and he chokes a servant who owes him like 50 bucks. You know, give me my money, throw him in jail. Um, that's an ethical parable. But then the other type of parable... is eschatological, and that's from the eschaton or eschatology, the study of end times, from the Greek eschaton. Eschatological, dealing with the end of the age, or, or for example, the judgment. Many of Jesus' parables about the kingdom deal with the judgment. It's the eschatological teaching of the kingdom. And if you keep these two... Uh, categories in front of you, some of these parables are going to be easier than others. And so let me give you an example. Let's talk about the parable of the weeds. And this is in uh, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven. Hold on. Let's go back to week one or two weeks ago. What's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? Do we remember this one? The kingdom of heaven is the way that Matthew says it because he's writing to a Jewish audience and they try to talk about he who is in heaven rather than God out of respect. They always defer to respect the name of God. They'll talk about the one on the throne instead of God. They'll talk about the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. The identical parables are in Mark saying the kingdom of God. Once again, you'll read commentaries, especially from the early 20th century, who say, oh, Matthew's teaching on the kingdom of heaven, but Mark's teaching is all on the kingdom of God, two separate things. No, it's not. It's the same thing, the same parables, the same wording, the same situations. It's just the way that Matthew tries to 
honor the name of God by not mentioning it. It's a very Jewish practice. And so, uh, back in verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you, know not, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Uh, once again, this is one of those funny parts of parables where, you know, you, you, you want to reason with them and be like, why didn't he post guards around his field? If, you know, like, because God's the master and God knows everything. Why didn't he just put guards? That's not the point of the parable is not to give you all the details. It's to prove a truth. So don't don't argue with the parable. But so when the plants came up, bore grain, the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. But he said, uh, So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Now, is that the ethical teachings of the kingdom or eschatological? Right. What is that talking about? Well, everybody gets to live on the earth till the end times. At the end times, it's going to make a harvest, and the weeds are going to be weeded out, got rid of, burned, whatever, and then the good weeds going to be taken into the king. So this time, okay? This is time. There's some point in time when angels are going to come down and do some harvesting. Didn't you, didn't you say that uh, there were there were two views of the Messiah, and one of them was this archangel from heaven is going to come down and kill all the bad guys, and that's all that's going to be left is us. Right. And this is reference to that. But think of it. I mean, it looks like it time-wise, but think about it. That's how it's similar. How is it different? Whose field are we talking about? God's field. It's his harvest. It's his harvest. Josh? Where's that in the Bible? What? That the angels will come down and do that. Where's that in the Bible? That's in lesson one we had. So, at the end of the uh, parable, when he sends the reapers, it's referencing. Yeah, it, it's referencing back to a belief. Uh, so, in lesson one, we talked about intertestamental Judaism between Malachi about 400 BC and John the Baptist in 27 AD. There were the four centuries of silence. The Jewish people 
would look over the Old Testament and try to come up with an idea of who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to be, taking all the various prophecies from the Old Testament prophets. They also had this literature that was being written around. Now, they didn't hold it as scripture, but they thought it was good, and it was called apocalyptic literature. This literature would describe these visions that people from the past, like Enoch, the seventh from Adam, or someone else from the past would have about the future. Uh, also, some of them were angelic messages given to teachers out in the desert, and these visions and images were supposed to teach people what the Messiah would be like. Like I said, most Jewish people did not believe they were scripture, but it heavily influenced a lot of their understanding. Even the book of 2 Peter quotes some of these apocryphal things, not as scripture, but as an illustration. The book of Jude quotes some of them. They were well known at the time. There were two main views uh, in the Jewish mindset. Number one is that the Messiah would be a person born on the throne of David, an earthly king who would lead the armies of God in a giant overthrow of the Romans and take over the Gentile nations in the area, establishing God's kingdom on earth through an earthly king. The second view was that a massive angelic figure called, you ready for this? Some, in some places called the Son of Man or called, you know, because Daniel talks about a Son of Man he saw, so they saw that, that has to be it. But it's a, it's a super exalted being, a super high angel, or somehow God himself coming down and basically stopping time, invading the earth, judging the nations, and putting the Jewish people as his prized possession forever, and the rest of human history being this, cosmic mixture of earth and heaven. Both of these ideas were taken from the Old Testament prophets and spelled out. And so you had the Pharisees believed in the Messiah being the earthly king. He's going to come, we're going to kill Romans together under his banner. And the Essenes out in the desert say, no, this angelic figure, the, the angel of light, the son of man, this glorified being is going to come smash the enemies. It's not going to be through a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. So those two views were kind of fighting each other for supremacy. And it looks like when he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like, it almost looks like he's borrowing from that angelic figure coming down, right? Or angels themselves coming down and helping God sort out. In Revelation 2, it talks about the harvest of the earth. And it says, Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice, him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is truly right. Right. There, there, are some, there are some Old Testament prophetic passages too that talk about the one treading the winepress of the wrath of God's fury. Um, the battle hymn of the Republic mentions it a little bit, if y'all remember. Um, good imagery there. But I'm just saying, what, what does it look like this parable is borrowing from? That view, right? But there's a difference. I want y'all to try to catch the difference between Remember the Jewish view was we're the pure we're the pure kingdom and God's going to come and destroy all the non-Jewish nations who aren't following the Lord and set us up forever. But this parable has a little bit of a difference to it. But that's the only place you are saying that Jesus has even said that in all of his teachings. Am I correct? Therefore, if, see, I wouldn't interpret it that way. Well, if you get into the Olivet Discourse um, towards the end of his ministry, there are more references to it. 
I'm not saying whether it's going to happen this way or not. What I'm saying is in this parable, and remember, the parable, not every detail has to make sense. It's to illustrate a point. The purpose of this parable isn't to talk about angels coming at the end. The purpose of this parable is something else. Remember I'm saying Jesus is often challenging the thoughts of the people around him who might have an idea. I know what the kingdom's like. It's going to be like this. Keep looking at the details. Somebody look and tell me what you see in this parable that's different from what a Jewish person would expect to hear. Servants of the owner. Talks about servants of the owner. Yeah, but look at the field. What's in the field? We're all mixed up together. You're not going right. to tell. Well, the, tick, the, the weeds are actually supposed to be poison wheat, right? They're supposed to be like tears. Isn't it about judgment? It is about judgment. But, but also uses a parable of separating the sheep from the goats. And that does that is too. not just going to get the goats first and then take the sheep. Right. So separating them both one at a time. Right. That's how you separate animals. Okay. I want you all to think about this. What, what he is illustrating here, the people of Israel are hearing this, and they think they're okay. And what does he just tell them? Some of y'all are weeds and some of y'all are wheat. And guess what? You're growing up together till the time. Don't think too highly of yourself. Well, I look at it also in the aspect of an individual today. If you do not have Christ as your Savior, and He calls you, you've been just been terminated. That's true. I mean, that is true. The, that, the, the wheat is gone away then. The wheat of Hitler was wiped out. But long after much pain was caused, okay? And the wheat, the, the, the tares that end are in the wheat. The wheat still survives. Right. And we can still flourish. We can talk about parables on two levels. We can talk about the difference between meaning and implication. And, implication. and I think that is an implication of the parable. But its immediate meaning to the people who heard it was don't think too highly of yourself just because you're Jewish. It's the same message John the Baptist had the last class we met. Don't say to me you have Abraham as your father. God can make these rocks children of Abraham if he wants. And so the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a bunch of y'all growing together and some of y'all are bad and some of y'all are good. And at the end, God's going to sort it out. And so it's for the people of Israel, just being Israel is not enough. A response to the Messiah is necessary. And that's the same thing the parable of the soils was talking about. What are you going to do with this message? Let's continue. The mustard seed and leaven. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, this is verse 31, that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Another one, he told them another parable, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. 
This is one of the weird things about Jesus' teachings is leaven is often seen as a sign of evil or a sign of corruption. But here, it's talking about the kingdom. In a good way, it's going to corrupt everything. In a good way, it's going to spread all throughout the entire lump. Um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly where, but there are parts in the Old Testament about Israel being uh, the field of God, the vineyard of God, and at one part, maybe even, um, see, I'm drawing a blank if they were ever called a, like a loaf or a lump. Um, but I think these parables are dealing with the effects of Jesus' ministry in Israel. And so, uh, just another idea of how Jesus is teaching these Jewish hearers the difference about his kingdom that mustard seed where all the birds of the heavens come and lodge in its branches, many commentators say, well, this would have been apparent to the Jewish people as a reference to all the other people on earth. This tree is going to grow so big that all the other nations are going to come nest in it. So, once again, like the weeds, he's kind of turning their worldview upside down and saying, it's not just for y'all either. The kingdom of heaven is going to be for every nation on earth. And he's getting that from the prophets too. The prophets spoke about all the nations coming up to Mount Zion and worshiping before the Lord. So, Jesus has already told the Jewish people, some of y'all aren't going to make it because y'all are weeds. And the whole world, nations are going to come and, and land in this tree. And they're probably at that point just sick of hearing about this because it's like, no, no, no. We had it figured out. If they're going to die and we're going to reign with the Lord. And he's already kind of breaking apart their understanding through his kingdom parables. He explained this one. To be looking at it, he started out as a man, God, Jesus, and he shared his what his message, and we look to how in that first century it instantly grew larger and grow in the kingdom of heaven is all the Christians. And and who and all the growth. But who now. perched in its branches? Huh? But who perched in its branches? Who perches in the branches? Children of God. Yeah, from all the nations. That's correct. So. Maybe I have more implications than I have. You're, yeah, it, it's no, it's okay. You're looking, so you're getting down now to where he explains the parable of weeds, and you want to talk about angels, and this is where the angels are explained, and that's in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. All right, so he's sowing good seed, right? To the people of Israel. That's what he's doing right there. Uh, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin 
and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It does sound in this eschatological parable that Jesus is saying, no, there is some truth to this idea of the angelic invasion that the Messiah at one point will come back as the judge of all nations, kind of splitting time into a new age and will separate. But it's not how you think. It's not separating Jew from Gentile. It's separating faithful from faithless of all nations. Any questions? Any comments? It is similar to not all who are of Israel of Israel. Right, and it's similar to when Paul to the Galatian church calls them the Israel of God. Um, it's similar when, when in Romans he says that if we have the faith of Abraham, we are children of Abraham. You know, the Old Testament prophets foretold all the nations coming into the people of God and worshiping Him. And that has happened. The, the Bible tells a great harvest of even Jewish people at the end. And by the way, does anybody know how many Messianic Jews there are today? 144,000. <laughs> <laughs> Careful now. We're going to start. We're going to have to get the, the charts out from Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Um, now, over 350,000, I believe. It's in the three, uh, maybe three, over 330,000. 350,000, around that much. Um, more Jewish Christians than have lived in any time until then, altogether. So. You know, we live in an interesting time. Um, we've seen the gospel um, grow in China, for example, to where there were less than a million Christians in the 80s, and now there are upwards of over 100 million Christians. Um, you know, that's... Yeah. That's more Christians than... Uh, than are here. <laughs> so we've got, uh, if you just look at what the gospel has done, and these are some of the, you know, going back to the idea of leaven, um, hospitals. Before the 20th century, do you know who built hospitals? Christians, charities. Christian charities. It's something like 90% of all hospitals outside of the Western world up until like the 1960s were built by Christians. Um, the idea of sanitation, of work safety, I mean, it's something where we, we hijack things in our culture and try to make them progressive that, they were, that were started by Christians. Uh, things like unions, which are now, a, you know, like I say more of a progressive ideology um, and work safety and th those things were started by Christians to protect laborers from 
wicked, you know, factory bosses who are like, I don't care if a six-year-old gets caught in a machine. Um, those things started, the temperance societies, uh, rehabs, things like that were started by Christians. Now, it's great that even non-Christian organizations are doing that because human flourishing is good, whether a Christian does it or whether a non-Christian causes it to happen. We want people to be taken care of. But a lot of these things started from Christian activism. I think that's part of that leaven Jesus is talking about, where it's just spreading everywhere. But uh, most of what he's talking about is just raw conversion numbers. And we're up right now where there's, you know, about a billion Christians on the planet, maybe a little more. Um, I believe my son's most recent uh, social studies book said that Christians outnumber Muslims now. Uh, I know for a while when I was growing up, Muslims slightly outnumbered Christians, but if you look at some of the uh, demographic and deconversion rates in the Muslim world, uh, the war on terror might have radicalized hardcore Muslims, but a lot of Muslims got turned off by Islam and said, we, we can't do this. We're not having anything to do with this. It, it, one of the unintended consequences of the global war on terror has been that many secular Muslims have rejected Islam as a political ideology, um, been more open to um, Western influences culturally and religiously. Um, now, there's still a lot of work to do, but that's just one of the things that's happening in our world right now. Don't don't count Jesus out yet, you know. <laughs> there was a rabbit trail for you. All right, let's do one more. Um, and that's one of those things where I thought we'd breeze through these, but that's fine. I mean, this is good that that uh, I like when we discuss better than when it's just me rambling. Let's go to. Let's go to the the hidden treasure and net. We'll do two of them. They're really short. Hidden treasure and net, and that'll finish up chapter 13. In verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now this, is this ethical or eschatological? It's kind of a little different, but it's ethical. This is a different one, too, because who's the merchant? You and me. Yeah. And so you might be thinking, why is this parable after the other ones? Well, you can imagine some Jewish people who love their culture and their heritage going, wait a minute, Lord, this sounds really weird. We're supposed to be the, the ones who win here. I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, you want to get the kingdom of heaven? It's like a really, really, really nice pearl. And it's gonna, you're going to feel like, I've got to have that pearl, but, oh, that's going to cost me a lot. But in wisdom, that merchant will sell everything he has to get it. Once again, this parable does not stand on three legs because how's he going to eat if he just owns a giant pearl? I mean, is this guy a pearl addict? Once again, it's a parable. It's not supposed to be an economic plan for you to retire. All right? And so what are you supposed to do with the takeaway of this parable? I want that pearl. The kingdom of heaven is worth anything you can throw at it to get it. 
And we say, well, you got to pay to enter the kingdom of heaven? No. But you know how hard it is to leave some of the things that you wish you could do, your, your nature, to follow Jesus. Sometimes you wish you could get really even with people and you know, it'd be easy. <laughs> but the teachings of Jesus keep you from being able to do the old you know, knuckle sandwich distribution center. <laughs> well, is it worth it? Yeah, Jesus says it's worth it. But these guys, if you look at the history here, uh, at some point, the Romans, 30 years after this, are going to invade the land of Israel proper, and all the Christians who are in Jerusalem, do you know what they did? Many of the church leaders had visions, and they looked at the prophecies of Jesus, and they said, you know what? This is going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus foretold it. We're getting out of here. And they went to another city nearby and stayed the whole war there. They didn't take sides. And they watched the destruction of their nation. They watched their temple get burned. They watched the godless Roman soldiers hold up, and this is some stuff that Josephus tells us, hold up helmets under the molten gold pouring off the temple as it was on fire. Uh, at one point, uh, some of the Jews started defecting to the Romans and the other Jews heard about it and said, we can't have this happening. We have to keep everybody in the city so that we can fight them effectively. So they spread rumors to the Romans. The Jews are eating their gold and trying to smuggle it out in their intestines so every Jew who left the city of the Romans would cut them open. Mm-hmm. Terrible things happened. And these guys, these Christians, sat and watched not taking sides because they felt, you know what, the Lord has told us. Do I want to be a Jewish nationalist terrorist against the Romans? Or do I want to follow the Lord? Because the Lord had rejected them at that point and sent the Romans as punishment. That was the pearl. It cost them a lot. It cost us a lot to have to do that to our culture if certain things happened and we just said, you know what, I love America, I love being American, but I like being a Christian more than this. Pray that that type of division never happens, but if we don't watch out. Josh, I look at it, I'm the merchant, but I want to have, it's like, if you were able to tell someone, how much are you willing to pay to live forever? Yeah. And to me, that's the pearl. That's and how much would you pay to be able to live forever? So many, how can you get, only God can guarantee that. And God's already given us, he's already paid the debt. Or like Jesus says, what, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Yeah. You know, gain the whole world, lose your soul? Bad, bad choice. One, oh, go ahead. The world passes away. Mm-hmm. Last one, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ethical or eschatological? All right. At the end of this, he says, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven 
is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasures what is new and what is old. You know, I have often thought about that and not understood that until I got a couple, like about 10, 12 years ago, I got into vintage electronics. Um, a lot of you probably grew up with old vacuum tube radios that you flip on and when the tube blew, you'd go to the store and for a quarter get another tube. Yeah, so go on. TVs. <laughs> Those tubes right now, the good ones, especially the Mullard brand from the UK, from a special factory at the Blackburn factory, are about 120 bucks a piece. Oh, wow. So, you know, you're talking about currency at this point, and they're old, and that's why they're so good. They sound better. I can hear them. They sound better. So, you know, I never really got the idea of old treasure and new treasure until you start collecting something old like that. Then you're like, what year is it? And someone's like, 1950s. And you're just like, you know, how much do you want for it? It'll last longer than the new ones. They will. The, uh, the Chinese ones will red plate whenever you put a little bit too much voltage to them and start popping and then blow your transformers. So they, uh, they're no good. But whenever he says uh, they bring out of it uh, treasure what is new and what is old. Uh, part of what's in view here, you'll look at the apostles in the, in, the, in the book of Acts and in the epistles. They're always quoting the Old Testament, aren't they? By that point, those apostles by the Holy Spirit had been fully trained and they could bring out new treasure and old treasure to all their people and their churches. They could talk about what the Lord wants you to do from His own teachings, the new stuff. And they'd go back to Isaiah and quote him, bring out the old stuff, and it was both good. They were, they were all good, weren't they? So you can kind of see um, good stuff. All right, we didn't get as far as I thought we would, but that's okay. Next week, we're going to try to catch the other half of this and the Sermon on the Mount. Do I have any questions before we close? I know we're, we're plodding through them slowly, but remember, the, the kingdom is being defined slowly through these parables. And at the end of three years with Jesus, the apostles still didn't grasp it. And so I don't think as a class we're really going to grasp it until we get to the epistles and see the apostle Paul talk about the kingdom from a church perspective. And then you're going to kind of go, okay, okay, I see this fitting now. So hang with us. We're going somewhere. How come when I got used to looking for explanations at the back of the parables, these last ones don't have any explanation at all? Right, because I think what they're getting at is something now that's obvious from the previous parables. And so you look at, like, for example, the old and the new, you know he's talking back about some Old Testament imagery too, and he's redefining it. And when they're starting to get it, He's like, you're starting to get this because now they're remembering. I remember that time when God tells the Jewish people, I'm going to treat you like you're not my people and I'm going to call people who aren't my people and make them my people. Or, I, or they'll remember stuff in the Old Testament where God tells His people, the Gentiles will all come in. I'll make a highway of holiness to Assyria and Egypt. You know, stuff like that. So I think they're starting to get this idea of what the kingdom is. And he's like, yep, you're starting to get it. You know, you're, you're going to be fully trained. You're going to have old stuff and new stuff coming out of your treasures, you know. Um, this is kind of the, the intro course that the apostles are getting to Jesus' ministry, you know, and they still don't get it fully. I don't get it fully. 
Any other questions? And that's what the parables were designed for. Yeah. They both <laughs> revealed and concealed. So if I had to ask you today, what is the kingdom? Of God. Kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? Heaven. Heaven. Right now, we're pointing towards an eschatological event. Now, there are some ethical teachings into it, but right now, we don't exactly know what or where, but Jesus keeps talking about something. The kingdom of God is like this, and then this is going to happen. And we're just sitting here going, I don't get it yet. And so you can probably wonder, the disciples are like, is he going to come down from heaven? Like, is that what he's talking about? Is, you know, because now they're starting to go like, something's going on here. This, this, this guy's a little different than an Old Testament prophet. And so we're going to get more into this, especially in Luke and especially when we go through John's view of the kingdom. John's view of the kingdom, you're going to look at that and go like, all right, now I'm starting to see a little bit more of what he's talking about. So just hang in there. It, it, it builds on itself each week.